Don't you wish that's the way it were, right? So glad you guys are here with us this morning. Good morning, EBC. Welcome to the second service. We had a great first service this morning. And let me also just say I appreciate you guys being willing to kind of shift around your services and and getting involved in serving. As Pastor Randy said earlier, last week was just a great day that we can celebrate together. We had more people here uh, at EBC than we've ever had in the history of EBC, excluding an Easter holiday. And so that's good. We could not have gotten everybody into two services. And so now we have room to grow. We didn't expect the third service to be full. We just want to make room because we believe we are going to grow, right? Amen. We are going to grow because we're going to keep inviting our friends. And so I just want to say as your pastor, thank you. Thank you for for getting involved and making that possible. We are in the middle of a series called Meaningful. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found in the Old Testament. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at these words from Solomon. We've learned that this guy, just giving you a little review, a little context, we've learned that this guy, Solomon, is in the twilight of his life. He's the king of Israel. He's in the twilight of his life, and he's looking back upon his life, and he's reflecting upon his life and all the mistakes that he has made in chasing after everything, as he puts it, everything under the sun. That's everything apart from God, without relationship with God. He's been chasing after everything, trying to find meaning, trying to find a sense of fulfillment in his life, and he ends up saying it's all meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Everything under the sun apart from God, he said, it's not doing it for me. And what he's essentially saying to us is learn from me. See, wisdom, no doubt, is learning from our mistakes But I believe it's even more wise to learn from someone else's mistakes, to learn from them and not make some of the same mistakes. Save yourself that heartache and that sorrow. And so that's why this book is in the Bible. That's why God has this for us is so we can learn. So let me give you a little quick review. What we discovered is that Solomon had this insatiable appetite for more. It didn't matter what it was. He just wanted more. More riches, more women, more relationships. Uh, He was always pressing for more. We talked about this, about him being just really consumed with this lifestyle of, of what we call a consumption lifestyle, to where everything is about us just getting more. We're never satisfied. And Solomon said this was meaningless. And One of the things that we talked about last week or two weeks ago when we started this, when we talked about more, was the antidote to living with that consumption lifestyle is recognizing that that what you have and what God's blessed you with isn't all just for you. I mean, we are blessed, and praise God for that, that we're blessed and that we have things. But but one of the things that, that Jesus talks about bringing meaning to our lives And it's completely opposite of Solomon, because when we looked at Solomon, all he talked about was himself. He was so self-centered, and it was all about himself. But Jesus says that we're to be generous. Jesus tells us we're to be rich toward God. We're to give towards others. So we just kind of spontaneously had this idea of throwing this thing, this challenge out here to our church. And we said, what we want to encourage you to do is to go home, if you're a part of our church, and, and go home and, and go through your closets and, and go find the clothes and the shoes that, that you don't wear or can't wear. And we said, you, some of you, you just got to give the dream up on ever getting in those pants again, okay? You need to give them away. And, and so what we said was, go through all of that stuff, bring it back up here, and over the next few weeks... We're going to collect this, and we're going to go give it to some people who need it. And so we're partnering with Saginaw Elementary, who has a closed closet for children who are in poverty right here in our own community. They can come and can pick the clothes out that they need. We took a bunch of clothes over there this week, and they are, they are using that, and that's going to children in our own community. Sometimes we think that, that poverty may only be you know, overseas or may only be in a third world country, but, but I don't know if you saw a report, but there are more folks that are living in poverty today here in our own country than ever. And so we want to partner with those in our community. We also are partnering with the Baptist Rescue Mission down in South Fort Worth by John Peter Smith Hospital. This is a great church where Pastor Trinidad is ministering to the homeless, and he has a clothes closet, and they come and they get the clothes that they need. And so we issued that challenge in week one. You guys brought 135 bags, garbage bags of clothes one week. 
That was awesome. And that was just a spontaneous. You can clap to God. That's great. I know we can do better. Some of you, maybe you've just kind of been putting that off and you've been thinking, well, I'll get around to that. Well, you were supposed to bring them this morning. If you haven't yet, we'll, we'll just even extend it a little bit further because we'll be taking this stuff this week. You can come up and drop it off at the church and we'll get it where it needs to go. But I want you to think about that. 135 bags of shoes, clothes, all this stuff that was just in our closets and nobody was using it. And now people are going to be able to use that. And I want you to know that's being rich toward God. And that brings you meaning. It brings meaning to your life to be generous. And rather than it all being about you. And, and, and we just got off to a great start. Now last week we talked about our own mortality. We talked about as we remember the 10 year anniversary of 9-11. Solomon meditates upon his own mortality. And, and, and talks about this. And how he wasted so much of this gift of time chasing after things that never really mattered. Things that he said, I'm going to end up giving them, or they're going to end up going to someone else anyway. And, and so he talks about wasting time, and he talks about the seasons of life. And, and what we said as a challenge to you last week is that if you've been procrastinating, maybe in, in doing a good deed to somebody, or maybe saying a kind word, or maybe making a relationship right, don't put that off. You're not, we cannot presume upon tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another breath. Don't waste that precious gift of time that God has given you. Uh, we want to learn from Solomon where he says you want to go ahead and invest that time and make it meaningful. So this morning we're going to continue in Ecclesiastes and we're going to continue with Solomon's exploration of where do we find meaning in our life. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Now, let me just say that I'm not going verse by verse by verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find that uh, a lot of the chapters can kind of, seem, they kind of seem redundant. A lot of the major themes come up over and over again in each chapter. So what I decided to do with this is to hit the high points, to hit the themes of this book that he brings up in areas where he was trying to find fulfillment. Now, the theme that, that I want to discuss this morning that comes up, and we'll look at the passage here in just a minute in chapter 2, is man's relationship or our relationship with work. All right, and let me say about work, let me say just about this, it's not just, work doesn't just mean that which you do to earn a paycheck. Work can encompass so many different things. If you're a student, that's your, your work. You may not be getting paid for that, you're paying someone else, right? But that's work. Um, it could be that you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and you're serving your family right now and that is work. We know there's some of the hardest working people that make it possible for our families to kind of move forward and, and, and so we know that that's work. It's not just about earning a paycheck. It could be something that you're serving in out in the community. It, it could be that you're even out of work right now and you're looking for work. Now here, I talked to a guy right after the first service and he said this to me and he's so right about this. He said, you know, I get up every single morning early and I'm out looking for work. And you know what we concluded? That's work. And sometimes it doesn't turn out the way that you expect or want it to. And there can be disappointments. There's work involved in looking for work. Because some of you find yourself in that spot here this morning. So, so that's what we want to talk about is our relationship with work. Now, work has gotten a really bad rap, hasn't it? I mean, when we bring this word up, it kind of evokes some emotions within some of us that are probably pretty negative. When we talk about work and you're going out and you're working or maybe it is your job that you despise. And I mean, some words just kind of evoke bad emotions. Let me just throw a few out and let's see if you're with me on this. OK, um, how about this one? Eagles. Eagles, okay? I mean, if you're a cowboy fan, mm, you know, it just kind of wells up inside of you. How about this one? Redskins, okay? You kind of start feeling that. The hate's kind of going there. You're feeling that. How about this one? Try this one. How about Romo, okay? Try try Romo. Let me try a few others. How about Fumble? Um, or how about this one? Fourth quarter, um, lose. Okay, um, yeah, am I bitter? I'm bitter, okay, about that, no doubt. And uh, I love sports here. You can see that I do. But uh, or try this one. Rangers. Oh, that's a good one. Right. Not right. Rangers Woo or Mavericks world champions. I mean, that's awesome. All right. Now try this one here. Work. Ugh. Right. I mean, it even sounds heavy. It's not like 
play. Okay? When we're play, I mean, when, and they just, and may, it could be the way that I'm saying them, I know. But just think about it. I mean, when we say work, it just kind of can bring up some, some emotion within us. And, I mean, why is it that, that, that work is such a pain? It's because it involves something that we really don't care for. Work, right? That's what, it, it ends up being a pain for some of us. And, and, and I really believe, and we believe here as, as your pastors and just being incredibly practical, and we believe God's word is so practical for our everyday life. And this is something, our relationship with work, that needs to be talked about. It needs to be discussed because it's such a huge part of our lives. And in fact, uh, if you do the studies and you kind of look, I was looking at some things this week, you find that seven out of ten Americans are dissatisfied with their work. Seventy percent are dissatisfied with things that go on at their work and they don't, they're, they, they're not really finding fulfillment and maybe they're thinking if I could switch jobs then, then things would be better and maybe in some cases it would. But, but lo- not long ago I was reading in the, in the paper about one of the winners of the mega lottery because that's what we would really like to see happen, right? Is we win the lottery and then everything changes, right? And here's what they said in this article. They said it's not a matter of if they'll leave their jobs. It's a matter of if they'll give a two-week notice, okay? This is what they said about this. And I think that, that, that what that says about our relationship with work is pretty sad. You know, I think there's so many folks that, that are here that if you had the chance to walk away, you'd probably love to walk away. Am I talking to the right people, okay? You know, you'd probably walk away. As a matter of fact, statistics show that one out of every six workers thinks about quitting every week. We think about quitting, and, and the attitude that, that so many of us have towards our work is so unfortunate. And let me say about this, this is the reason. And this is what Solomon's going to get us around to here. It's because over the course of our lifetime, you will spend about 40% of your time working. The other thing that you spend most of your time doing is sleeping. Okay. Now, some of us have learned to multitask and we sleep while we work. Okay. We've learned how to do that. But think about this with me. Okay. And here's what I want you to catch. Think about this. We talked about last week. What do we talk about? How precious our time is. We talked about what a gift every day is or it should be and and what a gift every breath is. And if you're spending a majority of your time and you're miserable, do you think that's how God desires for you to live your life? That you're miserable 40% of the time. Or that you have this mentality that one day when I reach retirement, then I'll be happy. What if you never get to that? What if because of the relationship you have with work, you end up, your life gets shorter and you don't ever make it to retirement age? Do you see what I'm saying? Something has to change somewhere in our relationship with work. It has to change. Either you can... Uh, quit and walk away from the job, and we wish that maybe that were an option, but for most people it is not. And so, so many people feel trapped, and they feel like they're locked into something that is going to make them miserable for the rest of their lives. Our lives really can revolve around work, right? It, it, it affects every component of our life. In fact, how many of you would be honest and say, if things aren't going well at work, wherever it is that you work, it could be in the home, it could be outside the home, it could be whatever it is that you do, it could be at school, if things aren't going well in work, it's, it makes up such a big part of your life, how many of you would be honest and say, it affects every part of my life? It affects my family. It affects, you know, the way I, I treat my family. Um, how many of you just be honest and say, it affects everything? Whenever it's not going well, honesty, I appreciate that, okay? And uh, that's something that's good there. And, and, and we recognize this, that it is such a big part of our lives. Even if, Again, even if you're unemployed right now, you're working to find work or you're worrying maybe about work, so it affects you too. And, and, and for those of you that didn't raise your hand, we, we just want to ask your spouse, okay? We want to ask them and find out what they have to say. So here is the thought. Doesn't it seem tragic to invest so much of your time into something that makes you absolutely miserable? I mean, we would like to maybe do what the video says and just say, it's evil, I quit, I, w- I walk away. But, but you can't, can you? You're in a place where, where you have to learn somehow, something has to happen within you to learn how to relate to your work, even if it's in a job that you don't like. Something has to happen to us 
Because you probably are not going to be able to change that job situation. Something, though, has to happen within us. I want to say um, right up front that, that uh, and let's just establish this theology right up front, that work is not evil. Work is, is not evil. Some would say, well, work, isn't, isn't that the curse? Well, that's kind of a misunderstanding of what happened. Because, you see, if you look in the Scripture, in the book of Genesis, you'll find that God gave man an assignment before sin ever came, and it was to take care of the garden. That was work. But then because of sin and it comes in, now the work is a source of irritation. Now it's toilsome. Now it's, 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 there's no sense of satisfaction or there can be no satisfaction. But the scriptures teach that, that a strong work ethic is noble. That it is something that you want to live with. In fact, I believe God has wired us to work. Did you know that we're going to work in heaven one day? We're going to be serving, even in heaven. So we're wired up to be involved in in serving in some capacity. The scripture says, Paul says, and he talks about work. He says, if a man doesn't work, then he doesn't get to eat. Because they had some people in a church in Thessalonica that were lazy. And he said, if, if he won't work, if he won't serve, then... So you see that work is built up as something that is not an evil. It's not intrinsically evil. Just as money is not intrinsically evil, it's, it's what we do with it. It's, it's our, our relationship with this. This isn't an anti-work message. It was only after men and women violated God's standards for living that work became this pain. It became a drudgery. It became a source of irritation. Now, so for some time now, Solomon has been trying to find his value, right? He's tried to find it in relationships. We learned a couple of weeks ago, he tried to find it uh, in, in accumulating more. If I can get more of anything. He's tried to find it in everything. And so what we find next and what we find as a theme is that Solomon also tries to find his significance, his meaning, his purpose in his work. And he addresses this. Because this is what it leads to. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. Would you read the first part with me out loud? So I what? I hated life. I've talked to a lot of folks who have said, man, that could be my memory verse. Okay? I hated life. Because the work that is, is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of, it's, all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He goes on and he says, I hated all the things. There's a lot of hate, hatred and bitterness that's built up in his life towards work and the things that he was working toward. And he says, I, 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 all these things that I had toiled, toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Which, you know, that was a blessing to his son, okay, when he read that. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, all right? The Rehoboam's saying, thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another one who has not toiled for it or worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. He goes on to verse 22. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving? That would, that would probably really describe a lot of us. Anxious striving. What do they get for this? For which they labor under the sun all their days they their work is grief and is pain. Even at night, what does it say? Even at night, their minds do not rest. Do you relate to that? Well, he's right on target right here. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Now, this isn't a fatalistic approach where he's just saying eat, drink, because we're all dying. He, what he's saying is that you want to learn to enjoy life again. You want to learn to enjoy the gift of life and, and enjoy life within your relationship with work and with others. And he goes on, he says, this too I see is from, the ha- is from the hand of God to enjoy life. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. God, speak to our hearts today. Because he's talking our language right here. 
He's talking about things that, that we feel and that we, that we know is a real thing that we're dealing with, this relationship with our work. When he started talking about all the work he's done in his life, I want you to see how he doesn't say, so I hated my job. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, I hated life. You see how intertwined our work can become? It affects our relationships within our family. Um, it affects our disposition. It makes us grouchy. Uh, I mean, it makes us hard to be around. And I'm talking about Christ followers here, right? This is what, and, and, and this is what happens. And uh, he says, I hated life. Some of you would say, man, I relate to that. I have felt that. I have said that. And that was just this morning, okay? And... And now what happens is there are some extremes that people go to in their relationship with work. And I want to just touch on those for just a moment. There's some unhealthy extremes. What we want to see happen in our relationship with work is we want there to be balance. There needs to be balance in our life. But, but let's talk about the extremes and the consequences of those extremes that people go to. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's a good thing to write down. This is a relationship with work is that we have become obsessed with our work. This is an unhealthy extreme. We've become obsessed with our work and our work ends up becoming our life. Our work ends up becoming our identity. It's who we are. It's, it's, this is the, the, what we feel about ourselves is what I do. That means that's who I am. And, and, and it's almost as if we can turn our relationship with our, with our job or our work or whatever it is that we're doing, we can turn that into our God. We can, we can live an idolatrous kind of relationship with it that it takes a precedent over everything else. It becomes an idol in our lives. What we will do with our job or our work is we will try to, to get that, and this is what Solomon did, to fill the God vacuum inside of us. And then when it doesn't fit or it doesn't fill it all the way up, then we're angry. Then we say, I hate my life. I hate this, and, 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 and it's because we're expecting work to do something that is not capable of doing. Only God, only Jesus can do this, is fill us up. So, so here's your action point today. Here's what you can take away from this. This is what I want to challenge us to do. As you, if you are obsessed with work or you, maybe you struggle with this and you lean towards workaholism, what we want to do is we want to consider the question, why, what are my motivations for my work? Why am I working or, or who am I working for? A lot of times we naturally say, well, I'm working for, for uh, you know, my boss or I'm working just for my family. And, and it's noble to you want to provide for your family. That's good. OK, but there needs to be something deeper than that that, that happens. So our, our takeaway is we want to constantly examine our motivations. We want to ask questions about what's driving me. And then if we need to, some of us, we need to modify those 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 motives this morning. One of the things we know about Solomon is that he was an extremist. He was extreme in every possible way, extreme in relationships, extreme in riches, extreme. So what would make us think that he was not an extremist when it comes to his relationship with his work? He's extreme. Some, some of us are like this. We take everything to its fullest extent and we're extremists. And I have, I have a tendency to think that maybe Solomon um, leaned somewhat towards workaholism. And he was someone that felt like, I mean, it was his fix. It was his addiction. It was something that was going to bring him meaning, he thought. You see, not all people hate their work. Some tend to lean towards idolizing their work and turning it into something that it's not made to be. Verse 23 stood out for me when I was reading this. I thought, wow, I have felt this. I have experienced this. I struggle with this. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Read the next part with me out loud. Even at night, their minds do not rest. There's no rest. One of the things I told you that God taught me, and this was part of the message last week, but I just felt led to bring it up again. God taught me over the summer as I was struggling with this. I, I, I have a trouble shutting it off. You know what I mean? And, 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 and leaving it outside my house and I can bring it in my home and, and it affects my relationship with my wife and my kids because I have trouble shutting my mind off. And it's a discipline that you have to learn in some way. And I'm, I'm trying to learn that. But, but one of the things that God taught me over the summer was this, is that Bart, when you are with someone, they deserve a hundred percent of you. 
Not 50% of you is what they're going to get, and then job or ministry from, in my part gets 50%. No, whoever I'm with, they deserve 100% of me. It's the same way with you. But, but So we struggle with Sabbath. We struggle with shutting our minds off, and we become obsessed with this. We, we make it our obsession. We make it an idol in our lives. And, and you know there are some dangerous consequences to living like this, to this extreme. I was reading in the message in Ecclesiastes, the way the message reads, and I like it. It says in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, check this out. This is an extreme consequence. He says, I turned my head, Solomon says, man who was living at this extreme, I turned my head and I saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. It's a big nothing is what he's saying. This is. Here's what he saw. A solitary person, completely alone, no children, no family, no friends. But look at the next part. Yet, doing what? Working obsessively late into the night. This is a workaholic. Compulsively, greedy for more and more. Never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog? Never having any fun. And who cares? More smoke, a bad business, is what he says. See, there are so many reasons why people lend or lean towards uh, workaholism. And I just want to touch on a couple of these motives and check yourself out this morning if this is you. Because uh, I think Americans, we have a tendency to lean towards this because of the American dream that we're trying to make happen. And so we, we end up moving towards this workaholism and, uh, and, and, and even as bosses, maybe we expect others to work in that sense and it's unhealthy and unproductive. And, and, and so uh, a lot of times we work hard because we're people of integrity. We want to be sure we're earning our pay and we should work that way. We should work hard. Don't, don't walk out of here saying, well, now I have a license to be lazy. Because this is not what this is saying here. He's saying you've got to examine your motives for work. All right, here's a couple of motives that many people live with that drive them to workaholism. One is what we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a consumptive lifestyle where you're just about getting more. I've got to work more to earn more to pay for all the stuff that I, that I want to have for myself and for my family, even though I'm working so much that I probably don't have enough time to even enjoy the things that I'm buying. And, and people, this happens to people all the time, and I'm working, and so my, my income is, is not enough, so I've got to try to find something that's going to demand more from me, and, and, and I'm never satisfied with what I have, and because I need to get more. He addresses this in chapter 5, verse 10. Look at what he says. Whoever loves money never has enough. See, money's not the wrong thing. Or the work is not the wrong thing. It's the love of these things. It's making them gods in our life. And he says, whoever loves it never has enough. Look, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Have you noticed how we've, we always learn how to live beyond our means and live beyond our income? And we, we get to this point and we think if I just get maybe a 10% raise, then I'll be happy and I can kind of back it off a little bit. But then what happens? We, no, now I can go buy something and I buy it, but I've got to pay for it now. And I mean, it's just this cycle that drives us. It drives us and it's dangerous. We could end up like the guy he said that is alone and solitary and he's bought all the stuff, but he has nobody to share it with. In fact, and he's not taking it with him. I talked to a guy just after the first service also. It's another guy that said, man, you kind of hit me between the eyes this morning with this one. He said, I, I'm that guy. He said, I'm in my apartment now, and I'm by myself. Um, my wife left me, and she took everything, <laughs> and now I have nothing. It's real stuff. This is happening to people right here. And Julia Shore writes in her book, The Overworked American, she says, we're not spending our money so we can have more leisure time. We're spending our money so we can have more stuff. More stuff. And, and our obsession with work for some is just this consumptive lifestyle. And it leads to debt. It leads to misery. And our, our workload increases because we have debt to pay for. And we end up, you know how it says that the... Uh, the, the um, the borrower is servant to the lender. We put our own shackles on because we end up doing this to ourselves. He says, working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more. 
our workload has to stay so high because we need to feed our consumer mentality as we kind of move through this and move along. Go back to chapter 2, verse 20. He says, so my heart began to despair over all of my toilsome labor, my work under the sun. And now he gives a reason. He says, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who's not toiled for it. If you think about it, you remember Solomon was kind of, he kind of inherited this kingship thing too, and so a lot was given to him. But he's, he's kind of bitter about this. This is going to be going to, to his, his ancestors, his sons who are coming up. And by the way, if you know the history of Israel, you know that he was right on target. If you look at the history of Israel and you were to look at his son, his son squandered his wealth. His son ended up having to use all that he had accumulated to kind of hold off the Egyptians from attacking and hold off the Babylonians. By the way, after he paid all this money out, do you know what happened? They came and attacked anyway. And they took everything. And so Solomon almost prophetically just proclaimed this was coming. And, and, and he wasn't in control of this. And, and it all fell apart. Everything that he had worked for to build this was now a big nothing. So how does that play out for us? Maybe we're working incredibly hard and maybe we're making really good money, yet you're scratching your head and you're saying, I feel completely miserable. I, I don't have time to enjoy my family or I don't have time to, you know, uh, to even spend some of the money that I'm making. Maybe, though, it's not the work. Maybe it's not the money. Maybe it's something that's deeper that's happening inside of you. That's what we want to ask. That's the motives we want to check this morning. Maybe, again, you're expecting work and money to do something that it just can't live up to. And so you're, you're bitter and you're angry about that now. Ask God to show you today if there's any truth in this. For some, it may be that what's driving you is envy or competitiveness, that consumptive lifestyle, that consumer lifestyle. Solomon had to say something about this in chapter 4. He says, and I saw that all toil, he said, I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. You know, that competitiveness that maybe we, we live with and trying to, to live up to what someone else has or, or that's the standard now, so now we've got to get this and we're trying to please them or make them think more of us and they probably don't even like us and we don't even like them, but we want to try to look good, right? And this is what we do. He said, this too is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's driven by greed. It's driven by consumption, envy, competitiveness. So... Ask God to search your heart this morning. Is that, what, is that what your relationship with work looks like? There's another possibility for someone that leans towards workaholism. It could just be a deep sense of insecurity is what drives you. That you have this illusion that you're ultimately in control of everything, including your job situation. But I can't tell you how many folks right here within our own congregation has said, I thought everything was okay in this area, and the next thing you know, um, I don't have a job. And I'm struggling with this, or I'm dealing with this. And, 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 and ultimately, Solomon thought he was completely in control, and he had all of this power, yet what he's saying in Ecclesiastes was, even though I'm the king and I have all this power, I'm not in control. And so you're driven by a sense of insecurity and your, your response to your sense of in, insecurity is fear. And because you are afraid, you're going to try to control everything. And you're going to find that that's going to be futile as well. What you should do is not resign your job, but resign your job as trying to be God. Because you're not God. We're not qualified. Digging a little deeper, what is it that could be even driving some of us? It could even be more insidious than this. It could be something that's driving you towards this kind of relationship with work. Maybe you're doing so much work and what you're doing and you're a workaholic. Maybe because you're trying to earn love and earn approval from somebody. I don't know who that might be for you. It could be your family. It could be your parents. It could be you just want others to look at you as someone who's successful in worldly standards. And this is what your motive is, is to earn approval, to earn the respect and love from others. These are often people who struggle with people-pleasing. And so you compare, and, and, and this is something that happens to so many. And I, you think, if I can finally be successful and be on top here, then... People will approve of me. 
I heard a heartbreaking story about Ted Turner. Y'all, y'all know who he is? He's a guy that, that owns CNN and TNT and all these. He's just a TV mogul. He also happens to own the most real estate from any American uh, in all of the United States. He owns more real estate than anybody. Millions and millions of acres. I mean, it's almost like he owns a state nearly, okay? And he owns all of this, and, and uh, he, he talks about this. He's so wealthy and very successful by worldly standards. And, and uh, I don't know if you know about this, but, but in one of his interviews, he talks about what was driving him, what drove him to this success, and what was behind it. And he said that he chose a university that his father disapproved of, and, and that was a strain on their relationship. And then he said he ended up dropping out of that university, and that disappointed his father. And so he had this relationship with his father that was, in, that was somewhat interesting here. He was already in his second marriage, speaking of Ted Turner here, when his father committed suicide in 1963. So there was some serious hurt that was going on there. So now here we are about 20 years later in 1982. He has been asked to give this uh, speech at Georgetown University to all of these students. And he exposes one of his deepest heartbreaks in the middle of this speech about entrepreneurship. And he is just laying it down and he's bringing it. And, and, And he's encouraging people to go for it and to live with all of this, you know, this drive for success. And here's what success looks like he pulls out a well-worn copy of Success Magazine. It was a journal that his father used to read to him as they would travel together about success. And, uh, and on this particular copy, you can see this is the 1982 uh, of Success, his picture's on it. Success. And it was worn out. And he pulls it out and he's holding this. He also made the cover of Time as the man of the year. And, and, and he, he had finally made it. He was someone now. He was at the top, and his booming voice, though, at this point, when he pulled this magazine out, trickles down to just this whisper. And he looked up to the rafters, kind of off in the distance there at that university, and he said, is is this enough for you? And this is what he said, is this enough for you, Dad? This is what drove him. It was a seek of approval. Someone to approve for someone to, to, to notice, for someone to say, and, and, and again, we should pray for him. As hard as it is for me to say this, this is truth for some of you this morning. Some of you are working yourselves to death to try to earn the approval of someone. And it's likely someone who will never give it. And it's what's driving you. It's what's behind all of this desire for more and, and climbing the corporate ladder and, and all of this. And, and there's nothing wrong with being promoted. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with having a good paying job. I hope that happens for you. But examine the motives behind what's driving you. What is driving you? And what brings you true fulfillment? These are some things that can drive us to an unhealthy extreme of obsession with our work. Here's the here's last thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Solomon had this, this obsession with work, but you can also see here's another unhealthy extreme. We become depressed with our work. We become depressed with our work. This, this week I thought back on my life at all the different jobs that I've had in my lifetime, and it hasn't always been that I'm getting to do what I love to do. I love being a pastor. I love being the pastor of EBC, lead pastor of EBC. And I love getting to serve with the people that I serve with. We have an incredible team. I love, I love what I get to do, but it hasn't always been that way. I've, had some, I've been in some jobs that, that I really I hated. Some jobs that, I, that, as many, that you're in because you've just got to pay the bills. And sometimes you just have to do what you have to do, right? I hope that's our mentality. Sometimes you just got to work. You've got to work and do some things that you don't love. And I thought back on some of my jobs that I, I worked for a yard service and, and I worked in the Texas heat in the summer. I mowed yards. I, I uh, was a furniture mover. Whenever I was uh, 18, I moved furniture in North Dallas up three and four floors. Uh, those sleeper sofas, I hated them. Okay? And I did that in the summer. I was a pizza delivery guy at one point. I hated that because I always smelled like pizza and my car smelled like pizza. And, and uh, I didn't like that. But, but 
someone had to do that, and, uh, and uh, someone has to bring us the pizza, right? It is a very important job. I, I was a pool digger one time. I, I actually worked for a company, and, and I, I worked on digging pools. That job made me want to. That was so hard. I said, I'm definitely going to college, okay? I can't do this. I'm too weak. Uh, I was a bank teller. I, I worked for a bank as a teller one time, and, but the best job that I had outside of the ministry was I got to work back in the bank in the proof room, and my job was every night, this was in Little Town Brownwood, I got to pull all of the hot checks that had been written that day and get them ready for the loan officers next day to do with them. And so I had all this knowledge. It was a juicy job. And I loved it. And I'd be at the store, and, I, and you knew everybody in that town. I'd be in the store, and I'd see someone that had been writing hot checks, and I'd see them buy something, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. Better be putting that checkbook up, you know. And uh, I loved that job. That was a great job. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that we all have to be in our in, maybe even now, you're in a job that it's not your dream job. It's not what you love. It's not your passion or whatever. Or maybe it started out as your dream job and now it's a nightmare. You know, I don't know. It, it, but we, we all sometimes, we just have to, we have to work in situations like that. So is there any way to approach those kinds of jobs? Or are you just destined for misery? Is that how it's supposed to be? Because it may be that you're going to be in that job. It could be for the rest of your life. As I said, there are a couple of things that you could do. You could either quit. Some people don't have that option. Maybe you can quit and try to find another job. Just be sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. You prayed it through. You might need to quit. Or it could be that you're not able to and you just got to... Something maybe needs to change inside of you in the way that you approach your job. Maybe something needs to happen there. So, so the question that Solomon causes us to think about is what is our perspective to be on jobs like that? There has to be something deeper going on inside. Here's your action point. Here's your takeaway from this one. Well, catch this today. This is key. We must bring meaning to our work, not expect our work to bring us meaning. We must bring meaning to our work, whatever it may be, in your school, or it could be um, where you work, it could be in the home. Sometimes uh, moms who stay at home, sometimes they, they feel like what they do is not important. Um, we must bring meaning to our work. Rather than expecting our work to give us meaning, or bring us meaning, Solomon was expecting work to give him meaning, and it was, it was not going to work. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize this, that you are worth more than your work? You're worth more than your work. You're, mer- you're worth more than what you do. This is so difficult for so many of us to get. It really is difficult for men to get this because we often equate what we do with our value. Uh, you know, and our esteem is so tied into this. And it's, it's just big, because work is such a big part of our lives. So, so uh, you know, do you realize that this morning? Some of you may be thinking, man, I've spent so much of my adult years being defined by what I do, you know. For some of you who are at this very spot in your life where you're out of work right now, maybe, maybe you're out of work and you're searching for work. And, and, and again, one of the guys that I was talking to between services said, he said, even as a grounded believer, this has just really been a struggle for me to find that I am valuable, to find that I am of worth even though I'm looking for a job right now. So who are you in Christ? That's the key. As a believer, you are someone special in Christ. Uh, there are so many scriptures that talks about who you are in Christ. We don't have time this morning. We've got another service coming up. But here's the deal. Who are you in Christ? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, this means this, that anyone who belongs to Christ, has become a new person. How many of you belong to Christ? Would you raise your hands this morning? You're a new person is what the Scripture says. The old has gone. The new has come. And he he talks about this in verse 18. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. There's been a reconciliation that has happened now with, with, with God and with man. And he goes on and he says, And God has given us 
we, the believers, this task of reconciling people to Him. See, now we have a task. Now we have meaning. No matter where we're working, that is our mission in the home, outside the home. It's our mission to be a reflection of God's grace to everyone around us. So now we're to bring meaning to our work and instead of expecting our paycheck or our work to bring meaning to us. He goes on and says, for, what, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. In other words, this, this is also who you are. You who raised your hand, you're the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You are so valuable that he sent his son to die for you. You're worth something. You're so valuable to Him. I, I, don't, I, I love you, but I don't know that I, I would give my son for you. You know? He gave His son for you. He loves you that much. You're that valuable to Him. And now what He's saying is this, and He says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against Him, and He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are, here's what you are, You are Christ's ambassador. In other words, you're his rep. Everywhere you go, you are his rep. In your job, in your school, in your home, this is your meaning. This is who you are. You're in Christ, and now you're a rep of his everywhere you go. No matter what job you're in. You see, you don't have to be a pastor. We really don't need... A pastor, you know, any more pastor, what we need is we need us to be who we're supposed to be in our jobs that are out there. That's what is significant. That's where lives are really going to be changed. You'll be able to change more lives than me or Randy or any of the others who are on staff can ever do because you're out there every single day among those who need some hope in their lives. This is who you are. This is your mission. This is your mission field. You don't have to go to Africa or or Southeast Asia. You're on the field as his ambassador, his representative. You say, man, but I've invested so much in myself to get where I am. I've invested in my education. I've invested years. I've invested sweat equity. And that could be why you're so miserable. Because maybe it's been all about you. What if it changed and you started realizing that God has invested a whole lot in you? More than you have ever invested. Last scripture, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this. God says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. That means to be bought out of something. He goes on though and he says, you were bought out of this from what? Remember what we've been talking about? The empty life. You've been bought out from the empty way of life. Handed down to you by your forefathers like Solomon. Now in Christ you're bought out of that. And now you have meaning. And how did he pay for it? With his own blood. With the blood of Christ. That's value. You are valuable. And now you're his rep. God must think a lot of you to ask you to be his representative. Right? He must think... You are something special to say, all right, I saved you. Now you represent me. This is what you're to do. Be a minister? I'm not a minister. I can't do this. Well, who's taking the time in your work to pray with a hurting employee? Who's taking the time to listen to a hurting coworker? Who's taking the initiative wherever you are to work and befriend the lonely or encourage those who are neglected or weary Who's inviting people to church? Who's going to be the ones to tell them of the free gift of forgiveness? If it's not you, then who? You are where you are for a reason. Let's go ahead and let's let's pray. Let's not expect our jobs to bring us meaning. Let's bring meaning to our job. Let's pray about this. There is no greater meaning than you being a representative of Jesus in whatever job situation you find yourself in or work situation. There's no greater meaning. Maybe you don't have a job right now and you're looking. There's no greater meaning than you trusting in God right now 
in this difficult time and saying, God, I believe that you're in control of my future. There may be some of you this morning who say, Pastor, I just need you to pray with me. I'm needing a job. I'm looking for work. Some of you, maybe you're in a job that you hate and you're just saying, I just, I'm asking God to change my, my mentality about my work. Would you pray with me about that, Pastor Barr? God would transform my heart because I, I'm not leaving this job. I've got, I need this job or I need this work. Could be some of you moms this morning, you've been feeling like maybe you're not significant um, if you're a stay-at-home mom. And you might just say, God, just this morning, God, help me realize how valuable I am to you as a representative to my family, to my husband, to my kids. Could be the other way around. This morning, if you would just say, Pastor, would you just pray with me about my job or my work situation, my school situation, whatever, and you just say, I just want to ask you to pray with me this morning. Would you just lift your hands this morning and say, this has touched me today. I need some prayer about this situation. Would you just lift them up this morning? Many in the first, many in this one. I'm going to pray with you today. Let's just pray together. Father, I thank you for these who have lifted their, their hands before you this morning as just an acknowledgement before you, Lord, that they need a touch from you in this area. There may be some who are lifting their hands that, Lord, they need you to provide them with work. Lord, they, they may be discouraged. I pray that they would know how valuable they are to you. Encourage them this morning, Lord. May they recognize today that their work does not bring them meaning or value. They are valuable in who they are in you. God, I pray for these who maybe are in jobs that they, that they just really struggle with. And it is such a drudgery every day to go to the place where they work. And Lord, it's affecting their whole life. This morning, I want to pray, Father, for them that you would begin to do a transformation in their heart. Help them to begin to see things differently. Starting even right now. That you would do a supernatural work as they realize that you are, Lord, commissioning them as your ambassador. May they begin to see people Father, may you bring meaning in their lives so they can bring that with them to work where others are saying there's something different about you. Thank you, God, for, for blessing us, for speaking to us about things that are real in our lives. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.